Yeah, let us in. Let us fill your quarantine hole. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. Back, yes, with a bang. It is the box edition. Let's get inside that box. You got to play with the box. You got to do all that stuff. The Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear. So much love for you during this crazy and wild season. Uh Myself, Rafe Boogs, we're back. We're back. We're back to give you something worth listening to. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed our Steven Seagal marked for death all action rewind with the great Eric Raskin last week. Hey, maybe more of that to come because it doesn't look like we'd be getting any fights anytime soon. But we got a fun show for you today. Rafe Boogs is going to join me, go over the latest headlines. We're each going to share five fights you should be watching or could be watching during the Corona quarantine, some of our favorites, some of our forgotten classics. We'll be counting those down. And, you know, why not F around and talk to Grandpa? We got Bob Arum on this show today. We're going to talk about a lot of things. It's going to get wild in here. Why not, right? He's at home. You know, he knows how to spend the next four years if he needs to. We know that. But uh, let me bring in Detroit's finest, the best boxing writer in all of boxing. He works for TheAthletic.com. His name is Rafe Bartholomew. Let me lick you up. Let me lick you down. Let me wait. Let me lick you all around. Let me lick you down. Gonna rub a dub. Let the dev rub a dub. Hey, Rafa. Yo. Uh, when will you be a Detroit Free Press bestselling author? Uh, yo, you never know. It could be pretty soon. You know, the, the clock is a ticking here in Sportslandia. Yes, yes. Uh, hey, hey, Rafe. Um, it's a pretty serious time out there. Every time I turn on the news, I want to do a backflip off the top of my roof. So, um, can you tell the people New York City's a rough place right now? I'm in the burbs. You're in Detroit. You holding up okay? How's your situation over there? Because obviously, we like to crack jokes. We want to distract people. But, you know, people are dying. Things are happening. What are you seeing up there? Well, I'm not seeing much, Brian. I'm staying home like they tell me to. Um, I hear a little bit. My uh, my girlfriend's sister is a doctor here in Detroit. She is on the front lines. Um, once a week, or not once, every two weeks, really, we'll go over to their house and stand in the backyard uh, on opposite sides and shout at each other. I'm going to make you my girlfriend. Um, I mean, that's both, you know, like our families go. It's not just me. That's weird. Um, <laughs> in any case, um, but no, I'm not seeing much at all. I'm doing what I'm told to do. I stay inside. I only go out to walk the dog. I run the stair. I, I don't even I, – I live on the second floor of a, of like a – I don't know, a duplex. It's like an apartment. I don't know. There's two apartments on this thing and I live in the second floor. And I just run up and down the stairs for exercise. So I'm not even running – I'm not even running outside. Yo, on Sunday, this – I, I don't feel good about this. I don't know what the right response is, but I get agitated when I see other human beings in the wild now. And <laughs> they're not doing anything inappropriate. You know, they're doing – I should have – they should be – they have equal right to be agitated at me for seeing me. But when I see them, I'm like, yo, get – just get the F out of my way. Get off this street I don't I don't care about your people. I don't care about your walk. I don't care about your exercise. I don't care. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's wild. I don't know how to act anymore, Rafe. It's it's a, it's all unprecedented times for sure. Um, legitimate love for our listeners. Uh, you know, not everybody is sitting at home doing podcasts like I am or whatever. Uh, people have lost their jobs. You know, I mean, I see my barber on Facebook with a heartbreaking message about his loss of income. I'm cutting my own hair these days. Some people just letting it all go. You see Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know if he's on a street corner yet with the beard and the hair, hair, great quarterback, probably not a great date, but, uh, uh, yeah, Rafe, you know, are you going to grow out those red locks? You're going to let the, the ginger flag fly. I don't think I have a choice. I don't know if I have the equipment or the uh the cojones, Brian, to to do what you do like you do and cut my own hair. Although I am inspired because that looks pretty pretty good. Uh, yeah. um, but I, I think I'm just gonna come out like a wild man when it's all over, and because I've never had my hair long in my life. And then I'll go to a salon and yeah. say, you know, for one one time in my adult life. You know, do what you do, you know, do that magic, do that voodoo that you do so well and make me look like uh, Fabio or something. So what you want to do? I want to shoop, baby. <laughs> I want to shoop, baby. Oh, my goodness, Rafe. And well, he's coming to this a yard. way. S and the P want to get with me. Cool. for the hell. I hit those skins for the hell. That guy was real cool. I have no idea who he was, Rafe. That was a uh, red hot lover tone. Oh, thank you. Okay, because they they wanted tone the, and poke. They wanted the bod, and there was the hot rod. Right? Yes, yes. Twelve Have inches. You sounded sweet. like a, I'm not going to say that. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Maybe he uh, he blew his wad. I early. think he did. I actually think he did. Indeed. Uh I did want to close legitimately with with some nice thoughts. Maybe maybe share our Corona prayer. With not only my people, your people, Detroit's people, all that. Coronavirus, we pray that it be dissolved with healing, with healing, with healing. Your cervix, your penis, your vagina, part of it. Your buttocks, your colon. Go wash your hands. <laughs> I think I think I think she might have threw her load there, Rafe. I don't know what's going on there. All right. I I still I, that one does not make a lot of sense. Nah. But well, hey, hey, well, who cares, man? That is that is true. Um, we know that we hope to be an entertainment filler for you folks. We hope, like Penas, we can inspire you. Penas, that really inspired me. Because thank you, thank you. Wow, James Bag Jr. texting me right now. James Bag Jr. may be off the uh, the twitters, but he's texting you and I right now. So. uh we get the hilarious drop in every once in a while from from the it, bag. He does exist. Yes, you yes, and I both know yes. he does exist. Rafe, you know what does exist, and you never told me. And frankly, I'm a little upset at you. This little YouTube theme song that I dropped into your DMs yesterday. You're like, yeah, you know, we've been we've been doing that video since the beginning. Rafe, how have you never shared this remixed Ray Torres classic with me? Put 
put some water on your balls. Do you know who recorded that? How long have you known this existed? A long time, Brian. For I, for for whatever reason, when I so I link to that fairly often in my writing, uh, because I reference it often in my writing. Sorry, I was busy I watching. Want to include? I was busy watching link. PPC face to face. I couldn't. I didn't have time to read your stuff, right? All right. I I don't look. I, I I even I don't think that the crap I write is worth reading anymore. Um, but it's like. Yeah, so so when I when I reference it and link to it, that is often the first and sometimes the only version of the quote that I can find easily on on YouTube. It's the first one that comes up when you search like Morales water on your balls or let me put some water on your balls. And so that's really why why I've been seeing it for years. I think I have found other ver- like the 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 non-musical version when, but you have to start watching the actual fight and you have to get to the, the actual round. And yes. it's much easier to just link that one video, even if it has the, the weird bad Missy music. And I think that's why I never got that pumped over it because I don't like that Missy song. I, I was don't never know a Missy, Missy Elliott song. fan. I don't know this um, Missy. To me, a gifted is... producer and a gifted songwriter, but I never liked her as a, as, and not, not just because she wasn't like some Viva Hot babe, but because she, I, I, I didn't think she could rap. Uh, and when I in my that was when I was in high school and was like a real rapidy rap heart backpacker thought everyone had to have bars bars Brian and and Missy didn't pass that test for me so anyway I, that's why I never got pumped on the level that I just saw you yeah. dancing I didn't dancing, know that was a Missy like a dancing hit. machine were you uh, do you think she has a big D and would you search it. <laughs> I don't what uh, I, it's 2020 you know athletes athletes do a lot of different things hey shout out to paulie malignaggi's acting debut you see that that clip he shared on ig i'm i can't wait till gravesend comes out is did did he mention i should look it up where that's going to be streaming where i can catch that I, it seems like it could be a hulu thing i don't know but i'm i'm fired up for it yo 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 relax yeah, he's basically playing himself. I mean, he's just basically, I mean, he's playing a, sorry, he's playing like, like a guy connected to organized crime, but the personality of that, of that character, he's just being Paulie and it, and it works out great. Maybe he yeah, has he's a, a guy future. from the block, you know, is, a, uh, is he, is he playing a fighter in the clip that he, he put out there? He's being sort of castigated by his, his childhood friend <coughs> for beating up a guy with mob connections, um, over a girl, but, it's unclear if he's playing a, a professional fighter and uh, whatever it is, man, I, I, you know, old school New York stuff, uh, crime films, you don't, this is not a hard sell for me. And, and, and we get Paulie, who's like the, the Paulie on top. Well, Paulie's been on top a lot, just to let you know. And it's unclear whether that movie is set in 2013 or not. So we don't know what his character's future will be in there. But one thing about his girl. I beat Polly. I left with his belt and his girl. So uh, we'll see if that factors into the storyline at all. Rafe, we're just rambling because that's what boxing is making us do now. Spoiler alert. Do you care? There ain't much to care about, brother, right? Unless you have Eric Morales versus Zaire Rahim in your top five coronavirus killer fight countdown coming up later in the show. I don't. I don't. Spoiler alert. In case you were wondering. Um, you know what I, you know what I didn't care about, Brian? And, uh, and you're gonna, you're gonna shut me up real quick once I start opening up this can of worms. I didn't care about Showtime 
replaying these the Marquez Vasquez fights. I got YouTube, bro. I don't. What is? Why did everyone pretend like this was not? These fights were not available, or we all had to sit down on Saturday night and watch them. I did appreciate the the screen time for BC and Luke Thomas. That was dope. But I can watch these fights at my leisure anytime. I've been watching them for years. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. YouTube has changed the game on that regard. But I did like everyone coming together at a normal time where... I ain't in this for community. Where we would be watching boxing and tweeting up two dudes who deserve the the love, respect, and re-mentioning, which is... Izzy like Vasquez, Brian Campbell and uh, and Luke Thomas, Rafa they, they deserve Marquez. our love and respect. Uh, do you do you have any love for their fourth fight, or is it basically Rocky Five to you? I, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it the Rocky Five disrespect because they they put so much on the line. You know, it's just they'd already I think they had already fought for the championship of each other, Thank and you. this this they they just didn't have much left to give. That's okay. Who has abused that line more? Well, James Foley has abused that line in my DMs the most. But uh, is that a Thomas Hauser abusal? Is that a Jim Lampley? Who Larry Merchant? Who has who has violated that line more? I saw that come out during uh, Wilder Fury two fight week. I believe uh, the great Jerry Eisenberg from New Jersey was quoted they asked of course it was a big heavyweight fight they asked him about all the heavyweight fights he he, he, had, he had covered and he mentioned the the ali frazier fights and and he used the line he's like those men weren't fighting for a belt they were fighting for the championship of each other and i was like he used it he did it yes yes um, yes yes never jab with the jabber rafe if deontay doesn't jab tyson fury would jab and you know deontay shouldn't allow that that him, he shouldn't allow him to jab before he and him not jabbing. So he should jab with the jabber. Actually, it's your jab. You know, I mean, you could, I could, I could take Deontay's word for it, but you know, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, uh, no updates on Dwyer. Um, I let it blow over his move, whatever facilitated that move. But I can't, I can't. Dwyer is in a weird place right now. He's doing a lot of coronavirus content and a lot of fairly conspiratorial coronavirus Ooh. content you might be into that brian but i, I should get deeper i don't that. need that misinformation in my life i get enough of it from our duly elected public officials i don't need it <laughs> from from the from my president richard dwyer yeah well do you think he's more or less likely to join the show now because look it's corona season this is the ultimate vamp filler time we could be we could be going deep with Richie. We could do a Richie Origin podcast. I want to find out about his youth in Jamaica. There's so much I need to know, Rafe. I will scare him away so quick. Probably. I mean, just like you scared away Tyson Fury, you come on strong, and not everyone is always ready for that. You know, though, in something we explored Saturday in Reliving the Vasquez Marquez trilogy, sometimes people are just perfect for each other. They just work. They just mix. Bob Arum and I, as interviewer and interviewee, we we can do that dance, Rafe. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, Bob does not mind the BC full court press, the BC James Kirkland treatment, where the enthusiasm is all over you like Musk. Yes, indeed, indeed. We always remember whose night it is. Wait, hold on, Sean. Sean, this is Danny's night. Hold on, Sean. Wait, hold on, hold on. Um, shout out to Danny. Whether we're talking Jacobs, whether we're talking Garcia, uh, you know any other Dannys? I'm sure there are a few. 
Danny O Dan wasn't it Danny O'Connor, the yes. guy uh uh got knocked out by what was that? Tito uh, Bracero, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a hell of a finish right there. Um wow, look at how deep we've fallen in podcasts where we're filling time by just calling up famous Danny's, you know, too bad I didn't have any on the line. Um, shout out to the oh, Irish that's crew. That's Danny's music. It is Danny's Danny. music. Um, shout out to the Irish crew. Shout out to the, uh. Then you realize, oh, that's Danny. Yeah, that is. Uh, shout out to the, uh, Godinez crew, ADK crew. Shout out, uh, any other cities? Shout out to Omaha, Nebraska. Indeed. Um, shout out to everybody's got an Instagram show. I saw Ray Flores starting one, uh, PBC one with, uh, Peter Quillen as the guest today. Will you be checking that out? I don't watch Instagram stories, man. I'm out on that. I got nothing against it. I'm sure. I, I hope that is a successful venture for everyone doing it, but that ain't for me. I got enough. I watch enough crap. I, I, I mean, I watch, I, I'm good with Mayweather boxing channel, YouTube videos and, <laughs> and all the rest of the time I waste in my terrible life. Like, why am I going to watch Instagram on top of that? I don't got that. That's all shit. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I wish I didn't have that either. Worse, how many people, everybody who listens to this, how much are you regretting your trying to be smart and paying $100 up front for a year of zone? I am. <laughs> well, you got to understand, Eddie Hearn had a platform. He lured Canelo Alvarez to the platform. Um, Rafe, to fill this Corona filler, aside from the fights we will recommend later, are you in on this Tiger King phenomenon? I've done like three separate podcasts about it. I'm living it. I'm in it, Rafe. I haven't given it the the proper attention. I've only watched like two episodes. It's funny, um, but I, I don't know. I just haven't. I haven't. I haven't binged it yet. All right. All right. Um, someone who's looking to fill our Corona time recklessly has been that skinhead white guy, Dana White. Um, Rafe, that's your why, boy right there, Brian. How is explain it, what is. Explain what is happening with your boy Dana White. I don't know. At first it was like, okay, you're just like, he wants to, you know, maybe there's financial hardships with the parent company Endeavor who just laid off a ton of people and took on a lot of debt to buy the, the, the UFC. And then you're like, well, maybe it's, you know, this. Then you're like, well, maybe it's just Dana's pride that he, that he refuses to take this L right now. Cause I mean, he's looking to blow up a fight so many years in the making. Uh, you know, now that Habib may not be able to travel from Russia, but, um, is it surprising to you that the the adult in the combat room right now is boxing? I'm blown away by this. I would have assumed we would have had boxing fights every weekend. Well, <laughs> I don't uh, boxing fights every weekend. I mean, uh, I do eat steak every day. I yeah. Um, but I'm small man. Uh, I'm I am surprised that MMA is coming off worse than boxing in this. If I I wonder. Yeah, no, it, it is surprising. I, I can't, I, I, but nobody has any choice. I don't, what is it? What, they, this thing, I looked, it, that's supposed to be in like less than three weeks, April right? 18th. That event. Yes, April 18th. And, 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 and it's a TBD location. And it's now potentially a TBD main event. They're basically, I mean, like, there are some big name fighters, Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal, Dustin Poirier, who are like, I'm in, I'll do it, I'll do it. But I mean, like, you know, this Tony Ferguson, Habib Nurmagomedov fight. Almost has a Mayweather Pacquiao type build, not on the same level commercially, but from the standpoint that like it was originally scheduled five years ago, five separate times. It fell apart due to like bad luck, injury, illness. And now it, for the fifth time, it, it may not happen yet. Dana's like, oh, it's fine. Tony Ferguson can fight somebody else. It's like, well, no, no, you can't. You can't do that. 
It's a much talk about taking an L. It's I I in my opinion, it is a much greater L to take to stage this event to risk x amount of people's lives no matter how many precautions you put in place um if they were able to or uh, even uh, because it's it, it's a terrible look publicly it's a terrible it's it's just it, it, it's irresponsible it's going to piss people off i mean there will be fans who watch the fight and enjoy the fight and and there's nothing wrong with that but it's just a it's a just a terrible terrible like it's no social responsibility whatsoever it's kind of just disgusting it's it's it, it, it and Did you- I, yeah it's, it's not a good i don't know what who is advising them business-wise also what media is going to be able to cover this how what kind of hype how are they going to be able to promote this in some kind of great way of course they'll put it on tv and it'll probably rate because nothing else is on but still they won't be able to maximize it or even get close to it that nobody's gonna whoever if anyone has to travel that didn't want to it just is what a what what a nightmare don't do that man it sucks and it's weird because you know ufc has that giant tv package with espn ESPN's like the only outlet that's not criticizing him. In fact, they've had Dana on SportsCenter and like, you know, softball after softball, not like, uh, hey, Dana, like, you know, no one else is doing anything, bro. In fact, legally, they're making it impossible for you. No one's asking those questions. I mean, maybe Bob wasn't wrong. It's a great, great sport. I love that mixed martial arts. I know. I think it's trash. We can get his thoughts later in the episode on uh, Dana's decision making there, Rafe. Wow. What does ESPN even have to gain from one event? What is it? Is one event? How much is that going to like clear up all all the money they've lost during this? No, they're lucky. They got Disney money behind them. They're going to get bailed out probably too. Well, you know how they're going to get bailed out here is uh, they're moving up that Michael Jordan 98 Bulls documentary to April 19th. Ray, if you fired up for that, I got movement for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, have I you know, let me name drop a little bit. I not 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 on the big level. None of the big names, but I've met the director of that one, Jason Hayer, a couple times, um, and he's a real good guy. Ain't so he uh, a big Grantland fan? What's that? Ain't he a Grantland guy in some way? He did. He did. So I don't know if any, but no, I do know that nobody watched this. But Grantland did a short film that he directed uh, about Kid Chocolate. That's right. And, yes. And uh, so that was when I first met him. And we actually talked about doing something on McSorley's that never really came together because it. Uh, I had to finish the book before and I was too busy working at Grantland to finish the book. So all that never, you know, that was on me. Um, but um, yeah. Uh, and he's done, you know, his his 30 for 30s have begun. He, he directed the Andre the Giant documentary. That's which was how excellent. I know the name the um, most. Yes. And, you know, and he's also just an awesome guy. He's a big Simo guy. Maybe he's a stretch three. I don't know nothing about that, but I like Jason a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Rafe. I do not want to poke the bear here. Um, the bear is your dog, right? Yeah, I do have a dog named Bear. He how's, looks like a bear, too. How's he holding up during Corona? Uh, you know, no, he doesn't. He, he's loving it, man. He gets long-ass walks all the yeah, time. Yeah. He already knew um, this was the best yeah, season. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. His coronavirus the best. All right. Uh, we're going to stop rambling and take a quick pause for the cause. On the other side, we'll get into a little box news, have a little bit of fun. Bob Arum coming up as well. Yeah, that's it. All right. Enjoy. Dig it. Yeah. And we're back. BC Rafe Boogs, grandpa to come, Bob Arum, Hall of Fame, top rank. Yes. Joining us later in the show. Rafe, uh, we got a little bit of uh, news. I mean, there's actually things worth talking about. 
You can question whether this is actually worth talking about. Your boy, one of your favorite gypsies, Billy Joe Saunders, your 168 title holder, put up a uh, interesting time filler video in which he jokingly hit a heavy bag and gave a speech that during this coronavirus, if your your significant female other is giving you problems, here's how you should take care of her. He proceeded to describe the best way to throw the opening punch, Rafe, and then basically was like, and if she's not down or dead or hurt, here's how you should finish her off. Obviously, it's 2020, all right? So um, people reacted a certain way to that, which was negative. He has subsequently. How would they have reacted in 2013, bro? I don't, well, they would. Well, that's a good point. Uh, you know, he's torn. He's actually taken down on social media. The, the video has been deleted, but the British Board of Boxing Control has given him an indefinite suspension. Rafe, uh, there's elements of cancel culture in this. There's also the idea of could this or should this block him from the Canelo fight that we were. Hoping to get in May, although Corona probably nobody was hoping for to get that fight in May. Although Corona probably coronavirus. Kill- well, here's the deal: alone, Corona probably yeah. kills that anyway because yes, your colleagues are telling us Triple G is going to get the third Canelo fight this fall. So your thoughts I mean, on this whole? We also broke down in detail Saunders Canelo, so we'll tell you whatever whatever you need to hear this week, and then tell you whatever is new next week. Wow! Um, wow. wow! And staff the pies. <laughs> That was a message to you from Billy Joe. Thank you. Um, so yeah, look, this, so this is this Billy Joe Saunders, um, is not a very he, he's a jerk, right? He acts like a jerk. I don't know him. I can't say definitively. He's he 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 does a lot of really 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 inappropriate and offensive things, things that that piss off boxing fans, which is hard to do, right? We there's a lot of there's a lot of politically incorrect stuff, a lot, and that is embraced in boxing. That is, it is so I'm almost like a bastion of old school values, good and bad, uh, that overall the boxing culture appreciates. Um, and even in that mix, Billy Joe Saunders regularly, constantly does stuff that crosses the line and, and is, and, People just look at it and say, yo, that was that was effed up, man. What is wrong with you? Why? Like, like that that is not just boxers being boxers or athletes being athletes or boys being boys or any of that BS. He's just doing like dirtbag behavior and commentary. And this falls into that category. I actually, I mean, personally, it is a it is a joke and awful taste. I find it less uh I don't know, offensive or damaging than you know what he was apologizing for last week. When he got some buddies of his kicked off of an airplane coming back to the UK because he was making loud coronavirus jokes about them being Yikes. sick. Um, Yikes, Rafe. It's not as I, I also think it was, you know, a year or two ago when he was filming without any consent a homeless woman about turning, you know, playing pranks on her about making her turn tricks. Also, really, really awful. And his son um, punched Willie Monroe Jr. in the balls. I, I did he, did he instruct the child to do that? I've actually seen that alleged, but I don't think I never thought that was the case. You all right? I learned it by watching you. <laughs> um, but look, um, so this is this is this is the pattern of behavior with Billy Joe Saunders. It is all really, really bad and and dislikable. Um, 
But at the same time, the British Board of Boxing Control, this is this is classic uh, boxing sanctioning body petty bureaucracy garbage. Like this is what you're going to suspend someone for? You got uh, how they they have like somehow the most galaxy brained dumbest doping issues on the planet where because of their privacy concerns fights go on after fighters are test positive because they don't they haven't had their full hearing yet so what was the point of doing we've been doing doping since the beginning what was the point of doing doping testing if you're if you're not going to protect the fighters and then after the fact you're going to go in and, and investigate what is the point um and so they they mess this, that kind of stuff up all the time um and it's just it's it, you know they are basically just responding to a social media event which is look the, the 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 anger the hatred the criticism is all warranted in this case but for the, they're, they're this is boxing there there are fighters active retired in the hall of fame beloved not beloved who uh have been credibly accused and or convicted of of real violent real violent domestic assault against women this is just a a guy no, a dickhead it. making a dumb joke so, so you why I, you know it. it's just so like get you get your stuff in get your get your s straight get your house in order yes. um i was on morning combat this week on showtime and basically was like so fed up with with billy joe having done this having you know come on it's like he's got it that i was like yeah he should lose the canelo fight now i realize in in reality how uh absurd that is in light of Gervonta Davis being on camera, potentially striking a woman. And I'm there like, well, you know, there's G.I. Kovalev getting ready to go to a trial exactly. whenever coronavirus is over. Floyd, all that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be in a – that's the truth. I don't want to be in a cancel culture. I want to be on this show making stupid and inappropriate remarks in passing sometimes. I think the difference in this case was this was like insanely premeditated. I mean, he set the video up around the joke. It wasn't like, oh, a camera – it wasn't like uh, Coogan Cassius caught him at a honest moment or candid moment when he was making a ill, you know, tasteful joke. But um, his history is bad in this. So here's the deal. He's probably going to lose the fight anyway, because, Rafe, we ain't fighting for a while. OK, and when the fighting does come back on, it's not like every fighter is going to be in in fight ready shape that day. So also, Brian, the British Board of Boxing Control probably has no effect on whether or not Saunders Canelo ever happens because Canelo wasn't going to fight Billy Joe Saunders in the United Kingdom ever. That was going to be in Vegas. And just like Tyson Fury is ignoring everything that the British Board of Boxing Control says and does, sent them back his 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 license, probably wiped his ass with it before he sent it to them and said, I'm fighting in the States. See ya. Uh, that's uh, Look, if they wanted, if, if boxing wanted to jam through Saunders Canelo, they will. If they uh, want to, they will. They still will. Keep me testosterone pumping. He probably actually, uh, uh, what's the right word for this? Before he sent it back to them, he probably, uh, um, ah, yeah, he, he, um, sauced, uh, provided the, the dress, the homemade dressing to the salad. I get, yeah, he splooged on it, you mean. Oh, that's so gross to put it that oh, way. So gross. See, I was trying to dance around it, and you wanted to basically go right through it. So, um, yeah. Um, not the way men do it, not the way I do it. Is speaking but of Brian. Salad. Speaking of salads, it, Rafe. Well, the first 
thing I do is make them toast my salad. Yes, Rafe. You Wait, are you serious. a maple syrup or a, or a jelly? <laughs> With jelly. Jelly, yes. yes. Okay, okay, good. Um, yeah, look, if they if they wanted to make Saunders Canelo happen, you, you're telling me Texas, that, that commission won't still put it on? Vegas, Nevada will still put it on. Be- and because they – I mean those places can't really set a precedent, a precedent of, of – not allowing fighters to make a living over terrible things they've said because then all of a sudden they have a problem with all the other fight, terrible fight, th- terrible things fighters say uh, across the sport. I think if if the the way to for Billy Joe Saunders to lose this fight is if public opinion turns against him, people say we don't want to see this guy, and you know Matchroom and Golden Boy say, look, we this this ain't the, the we're not going to make much money off this guy anyway. Let's just keep it moving and find somebody else. There's lots of good qualified opponents out there from 160 to 175 pounds. Callum Smith is out there. He's out there fighting for for autism research. I mean, you know, we got choir boys and Rafe and. Well, first of all, Texas forever. But second of all, uh, it's a potential trap fight. I know the judges wouldn't give it to him, but BJS is tricky enough where that's a – is that a Laura-like fight in your mind for Canelo? That's a Laura-like fight. And yeah, I, I look, I'm not going to – I see what you're saying. I believe it could be, but I also am less – I am less convinced that Billy Joe Saunders has the on-off switch in quite the same way as Tyson Fury does, and he he gets a lot of credit – for looking good on three nights in his life and against good fighters, but not really great fighters, right? Chris Eubank Jr., late career Andy Lee, and David Lemieux. The David Lemieux Lemieux one really sticks in my craw, Brian, because you see all the people who want to crap on Gennady Golovkin's resume and they're like, what's his best win, David Lemieux? (laughs) And then a lot of the same jerk-offs turn around and say – Oh, BJS, he could beat Canelo. Did you see how he beat Lemieux? What the? Are you crazy? Like, what is that? Against who? Against who? Against it's who? Lemieux. Against who? All right. All right. All right. You think you care about his hair? His people? His no. good looks? No. No, you don't. Uh, um, yeah, so know, BJS, thing, Brian... can, BJS can lick the sweat off of Jimmy Fingers' balls if he wants, but, uh, <laughs> right. you, know... you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell BJS the sweat off my balls. <laughs> hey, ref, pe- right. ref people seem to like. going to do him 1,000 times dead yes. worse than Canelo would do uh, him. People seem to really love that, that trip down memory. A lot of people saying, BC, uh, you did get the score wrong. Why did you not do out for justice? But, uh, People want us to go. In fact, I've got a lot of DM slides of people sending me random ass action movies that are like, you and Rafe need to hit this. Can we get into a little bit of American Ninja? I am a big Dudikoff fan. Oh, yeah, give me some of that Dudikoff. Yes, I, I'll, I'll get into, into that as well. Uh, Filmed yeah, in the Philippines, by the way. Ooh, we're going to have to reschedule. We're going to have to go back to the horn on something like this because it, 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 it Did you say horn? Yeah, speaking of horn, do you have a response to that? No response. I'll respond with my fists in the ring. Yeah, be a ba- bang it full of quarters and get on with it. Indeed. All right. Other bit of news, Rafe, is Wilder Fury 3, which, by the way, every fight's getting canceled and postponed. So this isn't actually news. The news in question comes from the top cop your colleague, Mike Coppinger, 
of the athletic saying the new targeted date. And I'm sure we can talk to Bob about this later is somewhere in early October for Wilder Fury three. The only bit of discussion for me, Rafe, in this, and I'll pose it to you as a question is. How much could this help Deontay Wilder's chances, not just the postponement, but the overall Corona season that could give him mentally, physically, spiritually a time to to heal and, and maybe maybe receive some things that he needs to try to win that third fight? Um, look, I, I think that is that's that that's plausible. I think it probably does give him t- more time, especially on the mental side getting over, you know, resolving whatever he needs, getting his his head right again to go back into such a huge fight, especially after losing in, in such a just definitive just getting, you know, getting the floor wiped with himself. Uh that more time can only help with that. I don't know if I think that's why I would I don't think that's that's Deontay Wilder's best chance going into this fight. It's just best chance is still to land a huge shot. Um But to but, land that shot, Rafe should he be doing something we've teased and talked about in the aftermath of that second fight, which is be an attacker, be a destroyer, stop looking for that one big counter shot that will end the fight. But instead, I know you you hate when I bring up the Fats Stavern rematch. I know you hate when I bring up the ancestral spirits of the bronze Brahma and the mask and what it does to him. But. Shouldn't he try to fight? You saw what the mask did to him in that last fight. <laughs> Weighed him down. 40 shouldn't, pounds of mask. Shouldn't he try to fight Fury like he fought Fat Stiverne the second time? Isn't that his most dangerous chance to just come out and just try to swallow you, Rafe? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I didn't mean to throw that. I, I, look, I, I don't know if I want him to swallow me. I but... it. It's not a nice feeling, but I'm a man that can cope with anything, me. Um... I do... I agree with you, yes. I think a more aggressive stance basically... You know, and letting his hands go, right? Because that is, that's the only way he's going to win this fight. He's not going to outbox Tyson Fury in any version of this fight. So the, the, whatever, any, whatever, any, anything that allows him, whether it's being wild and aggressive, whatever, however he gets to the point of being as dangerous as possible for as long as that fight lasts, then yeah, I think that, that is, yeah, and that's sort of a very basic way to uh, describe it, but I still think that's true. It's just, he, he give him some, throw, throw, throw everything at the wall and see if anything sticks, cause it probably won't, but you ain't, you know, if you, you don't swing, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get anything out of it. Rafe, he probably won't change trainers, and I'm not saying he need, well, I kinda am saying he needs to. He needs some kind of, strategical slash motivational change. He does. I'm sorry. No disrespect to Jay Diaz and Mark Breland, who we had been in a lot of ways praising leading up to the last fight, or or maybe I have, saying, look, he'll never be a great boxer, but he's better than you realize, and he does more things than you realize. And I think he does. I think when you watch that Luis Ortiz rematch, it's not one lucky punch. Third best heavyweight. Now, first of all, yes. Second of all, um, he set that shot up over a period of rounds. But let's say he did decide to dump those two. I've got two <laughs> options, two offers. I, 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 for I decided to dump it too earlier. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rafe, you always get me. You always get me. You have a big dump in your pants. Indeed, indeed. Um, so where I'm going with this is. I'm going to offer you two trainers. Here's the first one. Tell me if you like this fit. Wilder, Wilder, 
A guy who really can't fight, who's wild, he's unorthodox, his technique stinks, <laughs> but he can punch. He can punch. Mm-hmm. Who, would- who wouldn't want to train him? What could Teddy what could Teddy do? Could he make him flip cheeseburgers? What could he do with him, Ray? Yes. It is nice. <laughs> You're feeling it. It's good. <laughs> um, no, I, it doesn't make I, – I, that's a bad idea. I think if there were more time, if there were – if he were taking a slow rebuilding approach, if we were going to basically not go right back into the rematch and – look at like a three path three fight path back to a title fight against Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury or whoever is still around at that championship level in a year and a half or two after he's gotten some fights back under his belt then yes hire Teddy if you think Teddy's the best choice or could be someone else well, I got a wild card choice for the second one okay. are you are you okay. willing to hear me out all right let me know drop this number two on me bro <laughs> Tyson Fury looked like he wanted to give you his last name. Oh, was that Mr. Mr. Skitty? He didn't do nothing. No need for a part three. What about Mr. Skitty? He could train him from the front seat of his car, but just for that motivation, just basically call him a bitch the whole training camp. Just be like, this man was licking off your body. Like that, that, the, the ridicule that Mr. Skinny could put on Deontay Wilder over the course of an entire training camp. I, that is game-changing, Brian. I mean, that would light a fire under almost anyone's ass, hearing Mr. Skinny say he licked your neck and you didn't do anything about it. Uh, that's a, that's, that, that would, the motivation would be there. And Teddy, of course, is a very strong motivator as well. Um, I, one thing, so to get a little more serious about Wilder, and uh, shout out to our friends on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Uh, Eric Raskin was with us last week and Kieran Mulvaney. They had uh, Stephen Breadman Edwards, Julian Williams' trainer on, talking about Wilder earlier this week. And Breadman was saying, and it's a good point, he says, we've not, no one has been in camp with these guys. And we don't know. They could be overachieving with Wilder. Wilder may be a guy who is stubborn, doesn't want to learn, is hard to teach, is what, you know, and we have seen Wilder get better over the years. And, and through all that, they have gotten, you know, Jay Diaz and Mark Brayland have gotten Wilder to a Olympic bronze medal, to a, you know, and of course, matchmaking played a role in the 40, whatever, however many 44, 43 fights with no losses until, uh, Wilder Fury 2, all of that, they, they, he's basically saying we don't know for sure. I mean, we we can tell that Wilder is not a skillful fighter, but we don't know that anyone would necessarily do better. Uh, and I, that's that's a uh, that doesn't mean that someone couldn't, but it's just it's worth thinking about because you know uh, Mark Breland probably hasn't been in there for years saying. Yeah, champ, that's how you do it, right? I mean, he, they didn't bring him in there to do nothing. And the, the man knows how to, knows how to fight and, and fight in a style with a body that, you know, looked on a smaller scale, a lot like Deontay Wilder's. What a beauty, by the way. Hashtag body. Hashtag. Um, speaking of JDs. Hey, what's your name to get at you yesterday? These nuts. Stop that. Stop that. What's the uh, DMX equivalent to that? It was, um, it was, uh, B U F in him. 
It was the big, it was the intro to uh, I'm politicking with my chicken, wondering if I'm a creeper. Little hood rat B from 25th named Taniqua coming through like I do, you know, getting my. What type of games are being played? How's it going down? Is there an intro in there that that's very similar? I didn't. I never bought that CD. Wow! Wow! It's yeah, dark. I, it's I was as... into a lot. I, I I was resistant to DMX. No! No! Uh, no, for, no! No! Again, no! 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 Yeah, he, I, I, he I, look, I disavow ja this opinion. I disavow this opinion. Whoa, but whoa. at the time. I was like, I was too underground. I was in fat beats, man. I was like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, I'm listening okay. to Rockus. Okay. Yo, most deaf, Talib Kweli, Shabam Sadiq. I'm you know, at you the, for this. the all that that's the arsonist. That's where I was at like, in those days. I and I should have made more love, made r- more room in my heart for for DMX because I really like that song. Um, how's it going down? I really like um, I mean, Stop Being Greedy is one of my favorite songs ever. And and he's just better than I gave him credit for. So I, I, I got the score wrong. Well, I, I appreciate you taking that L in front of us, a big L. Um, But here's the deal. Like, if I'm, I'm the guy, I'm the commercial rap fan. I'm the guy who should be like, Rafe, you should give Ja Rule a harder look, man. He was great. And then you're the guy who's supposed to be like, Ja Rule ain't nothing, man. He's a bootleg DMX. Second of all, second of all, you're going to need two plumbers to get it, Pricey. Third of all. Um, he's from Yonkers, DMX. He's the real rave. How could you not own It's Dark and Hell is Hot? 1998. I had the poster up in my first apartment. I just, I just, I just explained it. I was so, I was very, very up in this image of myself as an underground hip hop head. Like I wanted the, it just that, that wasn't, that wasn't. And I remember hearing. Yeah, chicks don't want to hear that. People arguing in, I was in Fat Beats shopping for 12 inch records, singles. Uh, I put that on a, tw- I want a 12 inch of that. Um, <laughs> wait, and, uh, wait, hold on, hold on, while, <laughs> while the joke is still in my mind. Yeah, but I mean, I want an 11 inch penis. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Although <laughs> not you're, happen. although it, the room at your dad's a, a place is still a relic to 90s hip hop, there's no DMX in there? No, there is not. I'm sorry. Again, I, I got the score wrong on that one. It was, uh, it was just, uh, I, I was, it was, I was influenced by my peer group who was, who was like, nah, you know, see, if, if Ja Rule was a boat bootleg DMX, I, I remember hearing someone say this. DMX was a bootleg nine. Do you remember nine? No. What I you want, nine? Lisa, Lisa Loeb and nine stories. What you want, nine? An ill posse and my name up in lights and I and E. Yeah, uh, uh, he, he didn't really have DMX's flow, but he had a very similar gruff voice. He's still alive, Rafe. He's from the Bronx. He does hardcore hip hop. His name is Derek Keys, also known as Ricochet or Nine Double M. Is that the Nine I was talking about? Yeah, yeah, Nine from the Bronx, right? Hardcore hip hop. No, I mean Nine. There's so many different rappers could be named Nine. He was a featured guest see. on Funkmaster Flex's Six Million Ways to Die. Sounds right. Yeah, we found him. That's my man, Funk. Master Flex Knight. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, go Flex, go Flex. I, I thought we go could bro out to DMX's first album together. I look, I don't go that, I don't go that deep. I don't get that hard. Okay, so this, so this, well, I'm, yeah, 40, I'm just, 41 years old. Yeah, hi, yeah. Mrs. Campbell. That is true. Wow. Just look at the stiffness. Well, that, well, that was a short conversation. And the frequency. Yeah, yeah, the frequency, not that frequent. <laughs> All right. Um. Wow. I was going somewhere. I was. I know I was. What were we talking about? How did we get here? um, Interludes on albums, uh, the lead in to uh, how's it going down on the DMX album? Boxing, boxing, boxing. 
Oh yeah, but I'm trying to backtrack to oh, where yeah, we yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, sorry, I could, sorry. you know, Brian. Um, I could, you know, take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, but uh, and then sell it to you. But it's got to be your box. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got. It's got to be indeed. All right, I, I need to recircle. Uh the 2020 class of the Boxing Hall of Fame, among everything else, postponing. Yeah, actually, I'll see you in Kenneth. I love Kenneth. Actually, took it a, a big step forward by combining it now with the class of 2021. So what that means is. For boxing heads, the hardcores, not the regular fans, a pilgrimage may be needed next year. But uh, it's kind of weird, right? They're just like, 2020, not happening. Sorry. You down with that? That's kind of smart. I think that makes sense. What else are they going to do? I guess they could try and – because if you start – you get into the game of postponing, then – it just it, it keeps getting pushed down the line, you know, one, you know, one month, the next month, the next month. And then all of a sudden it's happening two months before the next one is supposed to happen. And people have to make plans to come in from all around the world for that. So I think it's a smart move. Have you seen uh, Rick Lazer's return to Twitter and his uh, allegations that Dan Rayfield's uh, recent story updates on the New York Boxing Hall of Fame class this year, which includes famous matchmaker promoter rick glazer that rayfield's been purposely keeping his name out of the stories to hold the grudge a deeper grudge than the twenty five thousand that 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 debella still owes glazer and that uh glazer is now attacking rayfield's size again on social media after uh pre-coronavirus he had said i'm no longer going to take shots at my enemies glaze did he say that yeah glazer said that glaze called a ceasefire on twitter during like only during the coronavirus yes. because he didn't because he didn't want to get caught like saying bad things about someone a week before they died because we need to come together okay that's oh that's why to. um um so uh, you know full disclaimer Brian I have not read every single story that Dan, I haven't read a single story that Dan nor anyone has written about the New York 2020 Hall of Fame induction who got in who's I don't care okay all right I won't okay. be there. It's not going to happen anyway. Um, but Brian, if you've read it, did Dan list every single person who's going to get in there? I don't have, I didn't go that deep. Because if he didn't list every single one of them, then I don't know if Glazer's argument holds up because I, I mean, I know we love us some Glazer. I love me some, uh, Saul Glazanello. Alvarez, you got glazed. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I like we we. He's a, he's a part of the boxing Twitter world, but he is not newsworthy in an article. Nobody know like a, a person reading an article does not know who that is. Ah, uh, maybe I didn't go too deep in their beef. Do you slip her the hot beef injection? Uh, in other news, Anthony Yard, British boxer, light heavyweight, lost yeah. to Sergey Kovalev. His father passed due to Corona. I think that uh, that sucks. That sucks, Rafe. Uh, R.I.P. Yeah. Shout out to the Yard family. This is uh, yeah, this is going to keep much. happening, right? People we know. Um, I did want to update you from Filipino Corona news. Manny Pacquiao, the Filipino icon, has tested negative. Yes, he did. Um, and he basically was like, I'm ready to die and nobody can save me. He said he'll be willing to take that that ultimate L for the cause, right? 
What is the cause exactly? To help others get through this virus. Why does him getting coronavirus and dying help anyone else? It's fair. It's a fair comeback. Did you see how reckless, by the way, Dana White has been in these interviews he's doing? Did you did you hear him on the uh, Frank Warren pod and on other places where he's basically like the Frank Frank Warren has a pod? Yes, and Dana was a guest on yesterday. I'm thinking that like they talk UK Frank Warren looks like Michael Caine Frank Warren. They, and they kept referencing how long they've been friends and how they keep hanging out in Vegas. I think this is my personal two cents, okay? I think that Dana's last potential play to get into boxing, because he loves Fury so much, is to try to co promote Fury with Frank Warren after the ESPN top rank deal ends. That's my guess in terms of why they're chummy and they're boys, right? Because there's no other play. Dana told Kevin Ioli last week of Yahoo that, like, boxing's too corrupt. I can't get into it. It's blah, blah, blah. Well, dude, we all knew that. We all saw that coming. Like, we all, you know, whatever. But um, my, the whole point of my point here is that Dana's been so reckless that he's basically like, look, we're all going to die anyway. You know, we're going to catch cancer, get a heart attack. So if it's my time with Corona, it's my time, but I'm not going to run from it. I ain't afraid of it. Bring it on, Corona. I don't think you should speak that into a mirror three times, right? So I kind of, yeah, that is, I mean, it's, it's really irresponsible, especially for, again, for anyone with a large platform like these people, you know, Eddie Hearn, he has a platform, the zone, they have a platform. Don't do that if you have a platform. Um, it's also, even if you don't have a platform, I, I, I wouldn't say that in, under any circumstances or, even if some part of me even believed it, I'm too superstitious to say something like that. This reminds me of Predator, Billy walking out onto that uh, bridge with with just a knife, carving that X on his yes, chest, yes. and then saying, "You know, come on!" And then three seconds later, you see like the spike come out of Predator's. Uh, arm and he goes yeah, you, you, you're, you're not gonna win it. that fight hey hey billy native american chief you asked for it okay and dana look bro get off that bridge stop doing these interviews in fact like go grab something to eat go to the grocery stores for crying out loud go to the grocery stores if you want to go to bob evans and eat go to bob do evans it. and eat no no wait get some takeout from bob evans die no don't die don't die oh, don't no. die don't die please don't die please be don't die. different dana um to close on the latest news in boxing rafe uh breaking news out of the campbell household now here's the deal uh the wife and i don't really have the same taste on a lot of movies or tvs or shows but she's actually a big fan of um Here's an example of a movie she has on DVD. Pinoy Hoops. What's that Chris Tucker and CNN Jackie Chan? CNN Hoop Nation, all of the documentaries oh, hosted oh, no, by Rafe no, Bartholomew. Bakun Kong. She's a big ba- – <laughs> she's a uh, – what what's that What's that soap opera? Bakekong. Yeah, yeah. Bakekong. 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 If he was a girl, you would say he has a badonka Well, no, 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 no. Okay, so um, she like what's that? what was that Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan franchise? Uh, rush hour. Yeah, yeah. She's like into that. She likes the Fast and the Furiouses. Remember, you and I talked about this briefly when we brought up the great Fred Raskin, who uh, was the editor on Tokyo Drift. Um, yes. And so the other couple week and a half ago, I tweeted about this. You know, it was a Corona night, family in, we're watching TV. She's like, "Hey, let's watch Fast and Furious one." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. That is a no, no." Frank Cappuccino. And then I did it. Cracked a couple IPAs. Family got involved, and you know what? I didn't hate it. I didn't you hate it. You watched number one? I watched number one, and I didn't hate it. So then suddenly, wife starts DVRing every other one in the franchise as there's coming by. 
we missed two, Too Fast, Too Furious. That's, two is the worst. That's Although gonna, it does have your favorite rapper Ja Rule in it. Well, that's going to be DVR tomorrow night. We're going to get that. But last night we watched The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, which is the third volume that has which is that awesome. That has that guy that you mentioned, the white dude, Lucas Lewis, Black. Is that his name? Lucas Black from Friday Night Lights. Right? Yes. I love the. I shamelessly love the crap out of this. Two entries in, and I don't know if it's just because Fred Raskin's editing got me, but um, this was awesome. Uh look, I I'm a diehard. Tokyo Drift Man. That is that is where I, I enjoyed the films that came after. I, now I'm getting a little tired of the shtick. But that was when seen? it was pure. How many have you seen? I, I I've seen I I have seen them all except Whoa. for Hobbs and Shaw, the one that just came out, um, which I didn't. I uh I, I watched like some of them fell asleep. Which one is I your don't. favorite? Which one? Knowing that we like Tokyo some of Tokyo this... Drift Man. That's really. It. Yes. I loved yes. it. I absolutely love You'll like the, the next ones are good. The Rock shows up. They they like they 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 remain good pretty much up until John Cena the crazy um what Paul Walker like hologram right. death at the end of you know, the, after that one is the next two or three after that is when they devolve into just kind of ridiculousness. Like all the ridiculousness in that franchise. Um, so if I've but, read it right the fourth one 2009's Fast and Furious is essentially the the direct sequel to the first one. Is that correct? I don't even know. Is that supposed to be the case? Because it's got yeah, it's got Vin right. and yeah. Paul back together. They got the they got the duo back. Right, right, yeah, yeah. They brought it. Yeah, it's true. And uh, but then some of the you know one of the dudes from Tokyo Drift shows up eventually, and, and like there's stuff they they bring in the other worlds. You know what? If you're into these movies, I suggest. A couple lesser kind of knockoffs that came out over the years. Torque, uh, uh, which I believe has Ice Cube. I don't and know how Biker far down the Boys f- with a Z, which has one of the guys from uh, Coach Carter in it. I don't know how far down the, the food chain of tolerance I'll have for this. Yeah, look, but, these uh, are the same movies except with motorcycles. Think about that. All right, but the, the characters in, in Tokyo Drift, I can't believe we're giving this much time to it, but um, were fantastic. DK, I'm not talking Donkey Kong. Um, Drift King. This guy's a badass wannabe gangster. And how about Han? Han's the hero of this flick, right? He Han is great. Han is great. And did you connect with the pops? Why is that dad living in such a small space? And was that a prostitute in the in that opening Tokyo scene when? when... It might have been. It might have been. Uh... I think the you know the father is a is a vet, right? He's a hardened, uh, you know, I guess Vietnam veteran. Just want to get off the, just get out and be, be to himself. You know, it's a, there, there are, there are a lot of guys. There are guys like that in the Philippines too. Um, so I'm not saying we need to do a, uh, Tokyo drift, you know, all action rewind pod, but due to this connection of Fred Raskin, why am I not having Fred Raskin on to give me the inside scoop on FNF Tokyo drift? I don't know if. As the editor of the film, he would really be able to ply you with the great stories there, Brian. I think it's more just like he would be, well, I was sitting in this editing suite and they sent me the (laughs) files and I put it all together. I thought it was a crappy movie because I usually work with Quentin Tarantino, but they paid me well, so I did the job. No, 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 no. It did exist. There's, there's deeper elements there. Okay, we both know it did exist. There's got to be some. You, you think that like Bow Wow is in there with him? No, or, no, like, I don't like... think he's on set or anything. But I think he's got a, 
He would know, by the way, if that lady was a prostitute. So what I'm saying is he may be our definitive question answerer. Every every question you've you've wanted to know did uh, you know about about Tokyo Drift and uh, Nick Lachey's uh, second wife. Well, does DK appear again in the series? No, Han does. But Han's dead. He come back. I don't remember how they figure, how they explain all this stuff. Wait, I'm pretty sure it's Han who comes back. All right. Speaking of coming back, uh, he's never left, and uh, don't call it a comeback. In fact, he'll he'll be here for years. It's. The grandpa. It's Bob Arum. Rafe, full disclosure on the space-time continuum. I haven't interviewed him yet, but I will right now. Any questions you want me to ask him since I'm going to interview him right now? 1.21 gigawatts, 1955? Uh, just a lot about MMA. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. It's the Hall of Famer that's a promoter. Oh, you know Bob Arum, the promoter. Yes, the journalist. Coming at you right now. Enjoy. Brian, uh, Bob, you both there? Yes. Yep. All right. Bob Arum, the legend, the Hall of Famer, the 88-year-old chief of staff when it comes to boxing. Bob, always a pleasure to have you on CBS Sports. How are you holding up during these crazy times? Well, Brian, doing the best I can, realizing that there's nothing I can do uh, to uh, dramatically change what's happening uh, in the country, in the world. Uh, but um, I, I mean, I'm listening to the instructions. I'm staying at home, I'm watching television like I never watched before, <laughs> particularly uh, all these streaming services uh, like uh uh, Disney Plus and Netflix and uh, Hulu and Prime. There's so much great stuff on that I wouldn't have uh, watched before because I wouldn't have had the time. Uh, now all I have is time. I hear you. Uh, and so and so I'm watching it. Uh, and uh, people ask me what plans I'm making uh, for uh, these fights. Uh, when uh, we get the all clear and because I don't know when the all clear is going to be and I have no idea uh, whether it will be in two months or three months or maybe the rest of the year, I'm not making any plans uh, right now. Uh, and uh, when this thing looks like it's clearing up, we'll start make pl making plans. It's a, that's that's where we're all at, Bob. So it's good to hear that you are doing your part. Now, look, Bob, you're a legend in boxing, but in life, too. You were born into the Great Depression. You came of age during World War Two. You were a, a, a grown man during Vietnam. How do you sort of compare the the sort of, um, I guess, the fear, the unknown of, of this corona pandemic compared to other things you've lived and survived? Well, you know, as far as the Second World War is concerned, which uh, at that particular point in time, I was nine or ten years old when it when it, it when America uh, became involved when Pearl Harbor was bombed. It was uh, right before my tenth birthday, and uh, I remember uh, we were in school, elementary school there. And 
the Pearl Harbor was on a Sunday in the United States. And on Monday, when we went to school, uh, they had us all go home. And I remember my sister and I hiding under the beds because we were sure we were going to be bombed. Wow. Like, that was going to help us. So there was a lot of fear in the beginning. Uh, and then uh, we sort of adjusted to the fact that we had to all wear special tags, uh, plastic tags, because if, in effect, we were bombed, uh, they would be able to identify us. Uh, and uh, air raid drills and uh, uh, drills in school where we sat in the, in the halls uh, uh, during uh, these drills. Uh, I remember that all, that distinctively, but there was nothing like this. There was nothing, there was rationing, I remember. You couldn't eat meat every day. You had coupons where you could buy an allotment of, of meat, uh, and, uh, uh, but nothing like this. This is something uh, that uh, you have such an invisible enemy, uh, something that can hit an area, hit a population uh, in no time uh, that we haven't really experienced it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, well put, Bob. And uh, while we're all sort of waiting around to see what happens, you did have a uh, – little bit of a celebration milestone this week, celebrating 54 years as a boxing promoter. March 29th, 1966 in Toronto, Ali Chavalo. Talk about a uh, big-time fight to get your feet wet. 54 years later, Bob, how do you sort of, um, I mean, do you remember the details of that day specifically? He's damn right I do. But but I but you know when you talk about that milestone 54 years ago, I was hoping to celebrate it in Quebec, Canada. We had a fight scheduled with Betabioff and uh, the Chinese uh, uh, challenger uh, on March 28th in Quebec. That obviously got postponed. Uh, but uh, I remember uh, the. Uh, Shabalo fight in Canada. It was the first fight that I ever saw, uh, in, and, uh, it was, uh, it started out as Ali and Terrell and then became Shabalo. We got thrown out of the country and the guy who co-owned the Maple Leaf, Toronto Maple Leafs and the Maple Leaf Garden had a buyout con smite. We wouldn't let Ali in the building, uh, and we did that fight, and it was such a relief for me to be able to do that fight with all the adversary uh, that we uh, that we encountered. That's a cool story. You did. You promoted or co-promoted 27 Muhammad Ali fights over your career. Um, I remember asking you in the past, which fighter were you ever the closest with in terms of a relationship, a friendship? And you had mentioned Manny Pacquiao. But what was your relationship like with Ali outside the ring? Well, it was very, very, you know, 
Ali was one of the most gracious uh, people that I've ever met. He was very warm and uh, uh, wonderful to be associated with. Uh, But I wasn't that close to him uh, because uh, he was, I mean, I was close to him, but Ali was caught up in those days with religion and uh, other things that I didn't participate in. Uh, I was ended up closer uh, to George Foreman during Foreman's uh, comeback than I had ever been with Ali. Not that I didn't love Ali and not that he wasn't tremendous to me, uh, but I, I, I would never say that he was my buddy. You did share a very important weekend with Ali, though, Bob, that time in the Philippine Garden Hotel. That's the stuff of legend. The orgy lasted yeah, but for Ali, days, Bob. I know, Ali didn't participate in that. Bob, all these... Ali stated... I know Ali was in another hotel. All these he years later... in that. Do we have any... I had, stati- my, we had, I had my own orgy in the <laughs> Philippine Garden. Do we have any statistics, Bob, all these years later? How many women? How many? It was a lot, man. It was a lot. In those days, you know... I wasn't exactly an 88-year-old guy, so I had a lot of staying power. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Bob, 54 years as a boxing promoter. Um, is there anything you're most proud of when it comes to your legacy? Well, yeah, I'm proud of the uh, careers of so many great fighters that I guided, you know, from uh, from Hagler, uh, to uh, uh, Oscar De La Hoya, uh, to Mayweather, uh, to um, uh, Manny Pacquiao, uh, and you know, recently the Terence Crawford and Lomachenko and guys like that. Uh, every uh, uh, fighter's career. Uh, particularly if they're successful, uh, has the hand of a promoter uh, behind it. Uh, Now, the promoters don't often stay for an entire fighter's career. I did, I know, with Hagler. But uh, uh, it's still, you had influence and you made a contribution uh, and... uh, that remains uh, with you forever. You mentioned uh, it's not you know normal for a fighter to stay his whole career with one guy. When that breakup happens, you know you had famously split ways with both Oscar and Floyd, for example. Is it is there a part of you that always looks back at that as like a like an ex wife or, or or like you know how how hard is that when you work so much to build a guy and then he decides to go elsewhere? Well, it's maybe a little hard in the beginning, but afterwards you uh, remember uh, all that you did and with uh, the athlete and how the athlete uh, uh, prospered and uh, 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 enhanced himself uh, with your direction. And you remember, I think, all of the good uh, 
things that happened. And uh, what happened after that uh, becomes less important. So I look back on my career with Oscar and with Floyd uh, with, with, uh, with, with joy, with pride. Uh, and I don't dwell on the fact that there was a breakup uh, with both of them uh, because they, I don't believe there was anything personal in it. Very well said. Uh, before coming to boxing, Bob, your your great legacy in life, you worked as an attorney in the U.S. Department of Justice during the Kennedy administration. Uh, did you know John and Bobby? What was your relationship with them? I didn't know John. I had met him. But Bobby, I worked with uh, on a particularly one case. And Bobby always often came, is a better word, uh, to the Southern District in Manhattan uh, to meet with Morgenthau, who was my boss, Bob Morgenthau, or Vince Broderick, who was the chief assistant, and when it was a tax matter, myself. So I, I interacted with Bobby, who I found to be a tremendous, tremendous uh, person, uh, really electric kind of guy but i didn't unfortunately i didn't really know john that well i mean I knew him from afar but i didn't have any interaction with the president but i did frequently with bobby do you have a final verdict on the ending of jfk's life everybody always tries to debate who did it bob who did it you were close to the situation Oswald did it, but, but, you know, after he was, the president was killed and they had a a report, the Warren Commission report, and it was an extensive exploration of the situation regarding uh, the president's uh, death. And uh, based on my reading of that, and the reason I read it, so carefully, the Warren report is Doubleday, which was a big publishing house, uh, had retained uh, uh, a senior partner of my law firm. I was back in private practice at that point, uh, uh, named Louis Neiser, and they, he was retained to uh, write a forward about the report. So that required research into the report. And he handed it off to me. So that's why I became really familiar uh, with the uh, uh, investigation into the president's assassination. And that's when I became convinced uh, that it was Oswald. And I also became convinced and believe it to this day that uh, Oswald was uh, working as an agent of the Cuban government under Fidel Castro uh, to uh, assassinate the president. Interesting. Interesting, Bob. Going with Oswald. Very interesting. Um, So much I could ask you about, Bob. Speaking of presidents, UFC president Dana White, Bob, he's the only guy who won't listen to any of the government uh, warnings, the the 
crackdowns on public gatherings. He is determined to put on this UFC card on April 18th, no matter who fights or where the location is. He's the last man standing that won't give up the fight. What are your thoughts on that? Is it, he, You're a promoter in the same sort of footsteps. Uh, is this reckless, like his critics are saying, or is this something you think he can pull off? He ought to be ashamed of himself. With what's going on in this country and the world with this virus, the last thing we need is for an event to take place with no spectators just to put the, get the event to take place. But the truth is, Dana White is somebody with a flawed intelligence. I mean, as witnessed by the fact that he's one of the chief supporters of our incompetent president. Will he get any pushback from ESPN? Will Will the government step in? This this look, he's got his own fighters that are having problems getting on airplanes. Joe Rogan, the commentator, says he won't travel for an event like this. Do you think he's going to ultimately be forced to, to not move forward with the card? He's not going to move forward with the card. And if the card happens with people dying in hospitals all over the United States, he ought to be ashamed of himself. The message should be stay home, stand down, until this is over, let's not spread the virus. Let's control the virus. Let's do what we can to staff these hospitals so we take care of people who go into intensive care. Let's all be big people, big boys about it, and stop the grandstanding. This will end when it ends, and it will end quicker if we all stick together and do what we're supposed to do not go and and shout from the air that I'm not a pussy. I'm going to put this fight on. I don't care. That is absolutely the wrong message to send. Bob, Dana has teased a long time that he was going to get into boxing with this Zufa boxing idea. This week he was on a bunch of podcasts. He said, I don't know if I can because boxing is so screwed up. I can't get anything to work or anyone to to work with me. Uh, you think this is like a grand opening, grand closing situation that that there's no future in boxing for Dana? Look, Dana has been a good promoter for UFC, but again, UFC is a monopoly. He tells the fighters who they're going to fight, when they're going to fight, pays them very little as against what professional boxers get. So he's a monopolist. And it's not easy for a monopolist to go into a sport like boxing, which is anti-monopolist, where we have very little barriers of entry. We have a lot of promoters, some big promoters, some medium promoters, everybody looking uh, to promote for the best way that they can for themselves. And Dana White could not exist in that type of milieu. He only can exist in an, in an atmosphere where he is the dominant monopolistic person, where he's manager, promoter, 
everything, rules maker uh, for the participants. I'm telling you, there is something about the operation of the UFC, which is a violation of federal law. Now, you can't do that in boxing because of the Muhammad Ali Act, which for reasons only known uh, to him doesn't apply to UFC. Why? I don't know. But the Muhammad Ali Act at least gives rights uh, to fighters, to managers, and prevents a monopoly-like situation. That's a a fair breakdown right there. Uh, Do you have any fears that he would join forces with Al Heyman and try to bring their powers together to try to take over the sport? No, I don't have any fears because Heyman works differently. Heyman is not a monopolist. Heyman realized when he tried to take over boxing where he had that deal with the mutual fund that it's impossible under the laws and circumstances to monopolize boxing. So no, I don't think that uh, Heyman would join with him. And after all, Al does so many good fights uh, for Fox and Showtime and, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, Dana and the UFC are tied to uh, ESPN. Yeah, so that wouldn't work. Well, speaking of that uh, deal you did with Bob, I mean with Al, you brought together ESPN and Fox for Wilder Fury 2. Such a great promotion and fight. Were you happy with the end game in terms of the numbers, pay-per-view buys, all of that, considering the uh, the incredible amount of promotion the two networks put in? Well, you always hope for bigger numbers than you actually get. Uh, But I think we did quite well. Uh, I think everybody uh, was pleased with the result. Uh, And uh, indeed, uh, uh, ESPN has done the rerun of both fights, number one and number two, and got good ratings for that. So we all look forward when this thing is over to getting ready and do the third fight. Uh, our, uh, the cooperation between ESPN and Fox was amazing, amazing how they worked together. And that was, I think, help uh, as, a, as a template uh, for uh, Al and myself and our companies because PBC and Top Rank worked seamlessly together uh, to promote the event. So I look forward to uh, the third fight. When it'll happen, where it'll happen, I have no idea. We'll have to see. But when it does, it'll get a lot of attention. Now, your guy is Tyson Fury, who you co-promote. But is there part of you that is cheering for a better performance out of Wilder in the third fight for, you know, marketing purposes for the maybe a, a future fight between them even after this? I'm not going to bull you. <laughs> My guy is Tyson Fury. As long as Wilder shows up, I hope he doesn't uh, improve on the second fight because I'd like to see my guy make it even easier. 
So no, I ain't rooting for for Wilder to be better than he was in the second fight. Uh, Bob, it's terms of one of your fights that we won't know when it's going to happen, obviously, until the pandemic slows down, is Teofimo Lopez, Vasily Lomachenko, lightweight unification. I, I mean, I, it's it's probably the fight I would be mo- most excited for this year to see out of any. Um, I can't figure out if Teofimo's not going to be the next big star in the sport. Bob, he's got balls. He's brash. Uh, how do you yeah, keep this guy? Uh, let me tell you. Let me tell you a funny story. So Loma was in California getting ready for the fight when it became obvious that it wouldn't happen because of this pandemic, and he was afraid that they were going to shut down Ukraine. So he flew back to the Ukraine to continue training. Meanwhile, uh, Tiafimo uh, got bored with hanging out in New York. And so he and his wife uh, went to Jonesboro, Arkansas, uh, so he could train there uh, in, in probably better surroundings. So Arkansas hasn't been hit yet by the pandemic, but as you saw the, last week, they got hit by a tornado. Wow. And we call it Tornado Loma. <laughs> it almost, <laughs> almost uh, reached where uh, where uh, Tiafimo was staying, but uh, it it didn't. So that was sort of a an amusing development. You know what I love about that fight the most, Bob, is we just don't know what it will look like. Do you have that same feeling? Do you do you feel in your gut you know who would win that, or or are even you like, yeah, this is fifty fifty. Let's roll the dice. Let's see what happens. Well, again, it would depend on. Who showed up the day of the fight? Because I can see uh, uh, Loma winning that fight and winning it handily. On the other hand, I can also see uh, Tiafimo with that amazing power and will uh, uh, being too much for Loma uh, to uh, contemplate because uh, Tiafimo is a lot more unorthodox than the fighters that uh, Loma has been used to fighting. True. Can't wait to see that. Uh, Bob, it's been great chatting with you. I want to close with this. 54 years in the business. I feel like the, we can always learn something from you, Bob. What's the best piece of advice? Well, the best piece of advice is what I think I gave myself which is you get knocked down a lot in life, but you got to keep fighting and you keep getting up and you don't quit and you come back stronger than ever. You don't let despair take over your life. These are tough times that people are living through. My advice is for them to toughen it out, to do what they should do, to take care of themselves and their families and to follow the instructions uh, to stand down and we'll beat this virus if we get together and all do the right thing. Don't quit. Don't despair. We're going to beat it if we all pull together. Amazing. Love it, Bob. 54 years. It's not over. 
top rank, still moving, still on top of the game. Can't wait to see these fights when they happen. Bob, thanks so much for your time. Good to talk to you, Brian. Take care. All right, Rafe, special thanks to Bob Arum. Haven't heard it yet, but I'm sure it's awesome. Bob never Bob never fails. I'm not I, I am one hundred percent confident that this is gonna be another classic interview. So you, you don't even need to you already know he's the best. I asked him if we could uh get him on the regular, if we could get him on contract, Rafe, to be on here like, you know It's gonna be a challenge <laughs> every, you know, couple months and then of course he said what I can't find, Rafe. He said what I can't. Oh, here it is. We don't believe in Thanks, hey, Bob. Bob. hey, Bob. Okay, thank you. Uh, Rafe, let's close the show with some fun. So here's the deal. It is quarantine season. Um, Yes, you could be watching Ozark on Netflix. Season three's up right now. You in it? I've never watched a single episode of Ozark. Right. I know some people like it. I've heard other people I say it's it. a little overrated. I lo- Did you like it? I love it. Oh, great. Gracias. Gracias. Uh, yeah. Let me put some water on your balls. Eric, 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 Eric. Let me put some water on your balls. Come on, let me let me put some water on your balls. Uh, let me look. It's not easy to be quarantined, to be home, to be stuck. Uh, you know, especially if you're not working. All the all this stuff, Rafe. We want to give the people an out here. I'm not looking for your five favorite fights ever. I'm not looking for. Your five greatest fight ev- fights ever. I'm just looking for five fights our fans could and should be watching to fill the time for action, entertainment, ridiculousness, historical, whatever you got. Five fun fights, little under the radar, so to speak. Maybe a reminder of what's out there. We each got five. We can alternate. Rafe, do you want to go first? Sure. I will start us off. Number and five. What do you got for me? My number five. And Brian, this is a fight that is not that, and you don't have to go way back into the, into the time machine to check this one out, but it was one that I don't think had, uh, any US TV. And you know, you know me, you already know where I'm heading with this. It's those cruiser weights, the 200 pound blokes. Yes. Uh, and they met on December 3rd, 2016 in the Hodinka Ice Palace in Moscow, Russia. It was the co-main of the of of Edward Troyanowski getting one-shotted by the great Julius Ndongo. But the right before that, my man Dennis Rubadub Lebedev, shout out to the great Bill Detloff, fought Murat Gassiev, and that fight is that's. A super underrated cruiserweight fight. Lebedev, it was basically his last stand, and he fought like it, and really outboxed Gassiev for for long stretches of fight, threw the the kitchen sink at this guy. And Gassiev, you know him, he he just liked to train, and he just liked to fight, and that's what he did. And he eventually, you know, he got a late knockdown and did enough to win it was just such a beast in that and that was when he won the title but it was it's that's a that's a fun one and it's not in a great fight but it's a very very good one and that's and a russian passing of the torch of cruiserweight glory correct indeed indeed although i think that you know um gasiev is like uh ossessian he's from near near dagestan near sort of the the part of russia that the russians discriminate against along with like habib um so I think that 
the Russian power structure prefers Denis Lebedev, who is this insane, very militaristic national. Like he, he's always doing stuff with the Russian paratroopers. That's why he would wear that crazy blue guile uh, <laughs> from Street Fighter beret to into the ring. And and when he wears like what looks like a weird striped French sailor like wife beater shirt, it's actually another part of the russian paratrooper training uniform so he, he so i mean it looks like a swimming shirt that an adult male would wear during like a 1960s disney movie <laughs> yes yes that is that is the dennis levadev look except with a giant potato head on top <laughs> um yet he he makes it he brings it all together anyway levadev is is basic like he's cast himself as russian gi joe um and and gassiev is just sort of the 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 Zangief from yes. from Parts Unknown, and, and that that's it. Just makes for a fun fight. I I recommend it. Well, we love ourselves some Gassiev on the show because he's all business. I don't like cameras, interview. I like training and fighting. And and beef and meat and in, in in double double kebab indeed. Well, uh, that, that, you know you know that that not, he didn't say that the man who uh, beat him. Oh, said, he said, uh, "Hi my Russian fans, hi my uh, uh, sit with me on plane, please." Yes, okay. Riff, I don't know if I've seen this fight. Now it didn't air in the states. Did I catch a stream for that? So late probably stop- not. Late stoppage for Gassiev. You know what? No, no, not not late stoppage. Just a a, a decision. Uh, but it was uh, it, it, there's a late knockdown. I will practice what I preach. I will this week watch this fight to fill my Corona hole, Rafe. Thank you very much. All right, good choice to open us out. My number five pick, Rafe. We got to go all the way back to July twenty third, two thousand four. I did not watch this fight live, but a couple years later, my first job at ESPN. I worked for the mobile ESPN, the damn phone. Remember that? And then they were the originators on like. We need to get a backlog of digital content on demand so that when people subscribe to our service, they can find it. I was tasked with going through old Friday night fights uh, from the ESPN tape library and making what they called classic boxing episodes in which I'd pull two to three fights and have Jim Basquel of future ESPN making the rounds fame voice intros and outros that I would write and queue up. I found this sloppy sloppy heavyweight brawl that I regularly go back on YouTube every once in a while. Do you remember the first meeting? Don't watch the rematch. The rematch is like Caddyshack too. The first meeting between Brian Minto and Vinnie Madalone. You remember Vinnie Madalone? Remember these two white, kind of husky, kind of muscular heavyweights who had this bar room freaking brawl at the Taj, Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City on ESPN's Friday Night Fights. Both guys went down multiple times, and Brian Minto finally stopped Vinny Madalone in round 10, the final round. Do you remember this fight? It's great, Rafe. I don't think I've seen it, Brian. I might have to go, I might have to go digging in the crates for this. It's a, there's so much personality in this fight. It's just two stocky white guys. You know, I thought man- you were gonna, I thought you were gonna go for the more, I think the more recent, uh, Spilka Molo yes. one that was on uh, on ESPN Friday Night Fights as well. Was that one of those at Comiskey Park, maybe? Or at, uh, Definitely in Chicago. US Might have been at UIC field. Pavilion. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Brian Minto, undersized heavyweight? I know. I remember Cruiser? both of these guys, but not but like very hazily. So Minto was like, always an opponent for like the Chris Ariola types, would go to Europe and fight known heavyweights, name heavyweights. And Matt alone was uh, just a rough and tumble journeyman, but he ended up fighting Evander Holyfield late in his career and got sent to hell. 
Yeah, yeah. that's probably why I know the name, but it's like, a, the, yeah. Get some of that white slop. What do you got for number four, Rafe? <laughs> so not, not quite white slop, but a little bit of uh, half white, not slop, uh, white blood. Um, so for a couple of these next two fights, and I'll, you know, I'll go one at a time, but then these next two for me were about comfort or about seeing some of my favorite fighters on not like their obviously best nights or most significant nights, but just watching, watching them perform well in, in tough enough fights and, and just getting the experience, the getting the experience. And this is about getting the Maravilla experience. Yes. Sergio Martinez, when he won the lineal middleweight championship of the world against Kelly Pavlik, the ghost with the Burger King uh, crown at the end, right? Well, did he do? I I think the Burger King crown was introduced in the Williams when fight. after he knocked out Paul yes. Williams in the second fight. Yes, but maybe not. Um, but that happened before this anyway, right? Yes. Um, so he's got the Burger King crown. Uh, and anyway, uh, so Martinez Pavlik, uh, two. 2010, April 17, Boardwalk Hall, Atlantic City. Uh, just, you know, it's got all, it's got, it's got basically prime Sergio against a still very, like, very good Kelly Pavlik, not best form Kelly Pavlik, but still very good. Still had the middleweight belt, even though he'd, what, he's coming off of the loss to B Hop. Um, and, it's just got a little bit of everything you like to see. It's got the lateral movement. It's got the, the, the sneaky, you know, southpaw, like ducking his shoulder and, and getting out the way shot. It's got, uh, the, 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 the obligatory flash knockdown, which happens in almost every Sergio Martinez fight. And, and he has he to fight back trouble? from behind. Didn't he get in trouble late? Uh, he was starting, uh, Pavlik believes that he was starting to turn the tide. He'd basically gotten the timing down. And was going to take over late, and then he then the cuts happened. Yes. Then, did, then, were you a part of that Pavlik interview that that we did for this podcast in like the yes, media room? In yeah, Vegas. he told the great story about that fight. It's all coming back to me now that he had come back too quickly from an injury and he wasn't in the best shape, and he took the fight anyway, so to speak. I mean, everybody's got that story afterwards, but uh, yeah, that was look, that was great. That fight was fun. It wasn't a great fight, but it was it was fun theater that night to see if Sergio had it. He had it, Rafe. Yeah, and you get to see, and I get to see my guy get the get the lineal crown that he he went on to defend many times until you know what until whatever BS equilibrium shot happened uh, in in the garden that <laughs> campion, night. Campion, my campion, champion, champion. It was the knee, man. The knee was not responding. Don't forget, the... he didn't even deserve to beat Martin Murray in Argentina. No, Come on, no, man. you're right. Martin Murray got screwed that night. And by the way, that was sideways rain. Maravilla should not have taken that fight. Remember how we found out afterwards he was like real injured in that fight and uh but had felt so much pressure from HBO and everybody else that like this was this Argentina homecoming built around him that he had to do it. Um that was a wild night. Somebody should do a maybe not a 30 for 30. Maybe you should come up with like 5 for 5. Just short little like uh no. And no, no, bad idea. Don't do I would be interested in that. I look, I don't know if the the people who control the resources at these major sports organizations uh want to pour that into a fight between Sergio Martinez and Martin Murray that yes. probably even most boxing fans have forgotten about. But 
I'm there for it. I would not only watch it, I would do GH Bay beforehand to just spice up the broadcast. Thank you. A uh, great pick right there. Always fun reliving that fight. My number four, another one of these fights that was a premier fight, but I think people forget how great it was. June 17th, 2006, the Fed X Forum in Memphis for two pairs of that middleweight crown, the WBC and the WBO, when Jermaine Taylor, pre-Crazy Eyes, fought Ronald Winky Wright on HBO to a dramatic draw. We never got the rematch, and Dan Rayfield wrote about it for years, joking about how much money Winky Wright turned down for that. But, Rafe, that fight was one where it was absolute prime Winky Wright coming off of the Trinidad walkthrough, moving up to middleweight, and still top of the mountain at whatever he had left as peak Jermaine Taylor before he fell into some trouble in his career. And do you remember we thought that was going to be more of a defensive, potentially boring fight? And then yeah. Winky got 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 caught early. His eye got a little bit messed up. And he bit down and started fighting. And to have two guys, very elite, top 10 pound for pound, just go for it. And then the fight be that great. And then be a draw. Dude, I remember working a late shift at ESPN that night watching it just going sick. Love that fight. No one, it's like it never happened. People never talk about it, right? I, I think most of Jermaine Taylor's career before everything went off the rails is kind of, it sort of gets sort of swept under the rug now because I, I mean, for, because it is, you know, he, he's had so many problems outside of the ring after, you know, his career that, I kind of understand why that happens, but it's a shame because he was a very good fighter, even though I thought Hopkins beat him. Um, and th this, this, this fight was awesome. I remember I was in the Philippines when this happened. I was in a, I'm, I was like in the middle of nowhere in like a, on like a pretty small island with eating in a, like a tiny, like a, like a, a shop, out of, like, out of, like the plastic tables eating squid adobo with huge whole peppercorns in it that kept getting yeah. stuck in my mouth. Yeah. And I, like the, the squid was delicious. The, the peppercorns were, 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 were causing a problem. And meanwhile, on the screen there, I'm watching Winky Wright and Jermaine Taylor. It was, uh, and, 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 and I stayed long after I had finished my meal because I wanted to see what happened in this fight. So they would regularly have American big time, like HBO level fights on like in a restaurant in the Philippines. Yeah. It's just whatever was on TV. And be, so, you know, it would be the live fights would be Sunday morning, Saturday night here. It's 12 or 13 hours ahead, depending on the time of year in the Philippines. And especially in that era, because it was, you know, 2006, the heart of Pacquiao craze, uh, and when he was the most exciting, when he was about to start climbing the weight classes and, and really becoming this whole other stratospheric superstar, um, in those years, there was, they just put all the HBO boxing on because you, you, I guess it just made everyone want to see more of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just, that's a cool story. And I love that in this fight, Winky fought out of character. Prove that he could fight Jermaine. I mean, like, man, they both got hurt. They had lumps on their head. Remember that? They had, I mean, it's just high level. Of course, we needed to see a rematch. The fact that it was a draw probably hides it in history because it's almost like it didn't happen. They both went on to different things. Right. Jermaine eventually getting knocked out by Kelly Pavlik in that all-time great fight. And then uh, who did Winky ultimately get solved 
at? Did he not lose until? Did he not lose until uh, B Hop got him at that catch weight? Might have been. Interesting. Or maybe Paul Williams got him, but then I think that was aftermarket Winky that got yeah. that Paul Williams got. Yeah. Look, I mean that's why he's a Hall of Famer. Winky had a had a really sneaky great career right there and got screwed a bunch of times. Rafe, what's your number three? Okay, so again, this this falls into I want to see a, a fighter I love to watch just going to work at at his best and putting on a great performance, even if the fight itself is not like a, a classic back and forth war. And I'm talking about this time, um, Juan Manuel Marquez. Yes. Uh, at lightweight. Yes. 2010. These the two MGA. fights missed my top five, like barely. I tried to find room for them, and I couldn't. From the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, uh, Saturday, November 27, 2010, Marquez Katsidis. Yes. I love I, these fights where, I mean, one, it, of course, it has the, the incredible drama of, of Marquez getting dropped hard, like, like half of his soul left him in the third round and he got up and what's there's some incredible stat that that boxing twitter you know famous uh matthew swain tweets a lot there's a stat where he got up from that knockdown and proceeded to land like 30 of 40 power punches on (laughs) casitas for the rest of the round like it, it and he got dropped so hard and this the rest of the fight proceeds to light Katsidis up and Katsidis fights with real balls in that one like he is tough as hell and takes a a wicked beating and you just get to see Marquez open up that entire combination punching toolbox and let his hands go and it is just amazing I love it I love it I am more man I have bigger huevos uh so here's the deal it's almost as if the cartoonish muscular you know, is it PEDs? Well, let's ask Memo, Memo era of Marquez at welterweight, which, by the way, PEDs or not, it was great watching him fight Pacquiao the last two times, fight Bradley, etc. It almost like people forgot this quick lightweight era ever happened. And that's, to me, the oh, pure. greatness, the pure greatness of Marquez in a division above his head, body not hulked up yet, going in there in fights where for him to win it, like the first Juan Diaz fight, the classic, you know, one of the best fights of the last 20, 25 years, um, he had to be legitimately vulnerable and had to get hurt. And, you know, he's always been a flash knockdown guy. You can you can drop him, but, you know, finishing him is another story. And for him to be there against a young balls against the wall, peak Michael Ketsidis, who never quite had the skills to be super elite, but this was like that last stretch where just with straight balls and aggression, he was a quasi-super elite. And and Marquez had to be a man to get him out of there. I distinctly remember watching that fight. And, you know, the, the Casamayor fight was in that same little package yep. of time as well. Um, I love lightweight Marquez so friggin' much. That's a great fight to rewatch that entire era. And by the way, the next fight after, Licar Ramos, he definitely took a dive. They had yeah. to preserve the Pacquiao fight. It happened, all right? It happened. Uh, Brian, oh, and also fun to note, and, and you, you, Brian, might want to watch this entire card because I think it does have your other favorite, maybe your, your favorite moment as a boxing fan. Uh, the uh, I probably started off the HBO broadcast. 
the American boy, Jason Litzow, beating Celestino Caballero. That pissed me off so much, Brian. Pissed me off bad. It almost made my top five. Yes, that was the same night. I lived in this. And then in between the famous war between Andre Berto and Freddie Hernandez. That, was that the same card? The same, same night? Same card. Wow, I remember. So I lived in this condo. Off TV, Brian. We've got Arislandi Lara, 13 and 0, beating Tim Connors. We've got Keith Thurman, 14 and 0, beating Fabio Medina. I lived in a condo for like 10 months. I had white carpet and I, and I had this great stone fireplace with a TV over it. And I remember dancing on the couch after Litzel pulled that upset. And I thought he was going to get destroyed because Caballero was so hot the previous few years on HBO, like yeah. just like destroying dudes by brawling inside with those long uh, octopus arms. Man, I love that fight that night. What a great night. What a great pick, Rafe. All right. Thank you. Moving on here. Um, another kind of forgotten fun little brawl. November 29th, 2006. I don't know for sure where it originally aired, but I always watched it. No, I know it was. It was on the MSG network. Gus Johnson was on the call. It was from the theater at Madison Square Garden. That is where it aired live. And I saw the replay many times. John Duddy takes a 12-round middleweight decision over what was left of the husk of Luis Ramon, Yuri Boy Campus. Rafe, do you remember this random sort of brawl? It was uh, as Duddy was on the way up, and it was a ballsy, I think it was, no, it wasn't St. Patrick's Day. It was November 29th. Um, It was just, you know, Irish fans going sick, and back and forth, they hurt each other multiple times. I think Dave Bontempo was the color guy on the call, and twice during the fight, he's like, this is the fight of the year! This is the fight of the year! It's one of those just sleepy good fights, not a lot at stake. But the old veteran, Campus, who fought everybody, right? He was like a thousand and oh when he finally took a loss against Trinidad. Um, he, he, he had the kind of performance that that guy Soto had a couple of months ago. Remember? Humberto? Yeah. Remember Humberto, uh, before when the, he Jesse- beat Rios? <laughs> yeah. And then he fought Jesse Vargas and fought like yeah. a man for a while. It was like one of those type deals. Rafe, I love that fight. I haven't watched it. I, I, the, the Duddy era in New York, well, I do remember that because he was the last Irish fighter that really got New York jumping. They, they could really build those uh, those those St. Paddy's Day cards around. I remember them because of McSorley's. He would be, you know, they would bring him in and out for promotion. There would be people leaving the bar on Paddy's Day to go up to the Duddy fights. There was it was just a and and they haven't had uh, an Irish fighter based in new york who really you know who really who really got people hyped in the same way since you know we've got i mean we've had irish american guys there was shawnee monahan and the long island crew uh drew drew really well in the garden but but never really i mean barely even made it onto tv and they would bring the the one year they brought in matt macklin to get sent to hell by sergio martinez even though julie letterman didn't know what she was looking at and got the score (laughs) wrong um and um but the duddy duddy was when that that those felt like real crazy fun events yeah and this was like a movie fight and it was like that stretch where you're like okay john duddy's not like for real right like you know he's limited he'll get sent to hell eventually and he and he did end top out when he lost to chavez jr and then retired afterwards but there was that part of you that like wanted him because you know it made him feel like a real life Rocky in a way, you know, where you like you wanted him to be something because of the following and and you know he's just this honest Irish guy who brought it and um, yeah, shout out to the Irish crew, Rafe. Thank you, great fight. Yeah. 
Oi, oi. All right. So here's one. This is this this is uh Emmanuel Stewart certified. Oh my god, look at this fight. This one, the co-main event on the Devin Alexander Andre Kotelnik card. That is a Yeah. Look at this. Oh my god. The co-main event under King King Devin King Alexander and Andre Kotelnik. August 7th, 2010, from the Scott Trade Center in St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri? Is this, Whatever is this, the hell they say. Is this Zab Maidana? No, 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 no. It is Tavoris Cloud before he got punched in the eyeball. And you know how hard. Yeah, you got to hit a man pretty hard. Tavoris Cloud defending his IBF light heavyweight title against Glenn Johnson. Yes. War. Just I mean th- this one I, there were moments this 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 was a fight I remember my girlfriend at the time she was with me while I was watching it and by at like the 10th round she had just she hadn't said anything and, and then after the 10th round she's like why are you watching this? <laughs> Is that it the was, same lady that you uh, fancy today? Uh, no, we are. This is not. We are. They, they, no, no, no. Not, no, we no, are no. not still together. No, 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 no. Wow, great story. Wow. Um, it's just brutal. I mean, they beat. They, they both guys so much heart, and just uh, Glenn Johnson is whoa, so oh, just so good, man. These guys are just ripping into each other. It's it's it's, it's Emmanuel Stewart approved you know I wish for you sure. I wish you turned to this to this lady. Put your head on her shoulder and said, "This is all I know. What else can I do?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, I okay. So I remember that fight, but not like the details. I'm gonna go back and check that one out as well. Um, dude, Glenn Johnson brought it in a bunch of these fights. Remember the first Chad Dawson one? Fun theater right there. All right, indeed. Uh, all right. I'm gonna move on. Number two here. It's sexy Sergio time. It's one you've seen a lot, but it's always worth revisiting. It's December 5th, 2009. For a lot of us, the first time we realized who this man was, the first Paul Williams fight, Boardwalk Hall, Atlantic City, HBO. Like you, Rafe, I love the crap out of this fight. And the definitive nature of the knockout in the rematch in, what, the first round? Really made people forget. Second round, I think, Really made people forget how awesome this fight was. It was Martinez. What was he filling in last minute? Moving up in weight. And Williams takes a majority decision in 12 rounds. Very controversial. Disputed. Could have gone either way. But Samson just, screaming travesty in, in in front of the HBO cameras after. It's a travesty! I remember having not known about Sergio Martinez's history before this. Just knowing he's some 54 titleist from another country. And being like, oh, this guy's going to get destroyed. And then he gets knocked down early in that first round. And you're like, oh, man, this is going to be easy. I wish Paul Williams was fighting freaking Mayweather right now. And then late in that first round, we all remember sexy Sergio flash knockdown on Paul Williams. And we got a fight. Flash knockdown. Not Williams was hurt bad. I okay. mean, he okay. was like that. He fell like face first into the ropes after that shot. 
And uh, not only was that a great call for Lampley, and Lampley's obviously the best, the legend, but there's some certain Lampley nights that I specifically love. The surprise in his voice as this became a war. And not only is it just fun because it's an aggressive, fun action. I mean, everything Paul Williams touched back then was great in that regard. I could have had Williams Margarito right here as my number one. I love that fight. But Rafe, the way that their two styles meshed, with Williams being the full volume come at you and Sergio bending over, doing Sergio stuff, looking to counter with those quick shots and then cover up and then get out of the way. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I was so friggin' excited for the rematch because I thought we were getting the first one basically over again. Yeah, well, shoot. I mean, why wouldn't you expect I mean, especially with Paul Williams, who been in war like 12 rounds with Margarito, uh, before Margarito was uh, suspected of anything, you know, before the iPad, before the iPad was introduced. Um, so yeah, Paul Williams was not a man you expected to, you know, to be one shot KO'd ever. Uh, so that made that in the second fight even more shocking. But Brian, yeah, I, I, thinking back, especially, you know, it's, it's hard to put yourself in those shoes again in hindsight because we know what Sergio Martinez went on to achieve over the next several years. But when they, yeah, he's basically being introduced to people, except I'm sure there are some, some, so the real hardcore out there will be like, oh, I saw when he got robbed against Carmen Centron. I knew how, well, well, <laughs> yes, okay, thank you. Yeah, you got the score right. I saw um, it when Margarito knocked him out. Yeah, no, yeah. no, you didn't. No, you but didn't. that's the thing. They introduce him and say, okay, this guy was stopped by Margarito, uh, you know, five years ago. He started boxing late. He's moving up in weight. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he used to be a cyclist. You look at him, he's got, you know, he's, he's already sexy Sergio. He's got the, he's got the little cheap tattoo on his arm. And you're, you're just thinking, no, oh, this is not good. This is the late, late, late replacement. And you never, yeah, not, I, and also late I replacements, seen, they never bring in dangerous guys for no, late replacements. And they never have fun styles. And I, re, I had never seen the Cintron fight. I knew nothing about him for this night. I think I, a lot of yeah, fans I, were like I'm, that. I was in the same boat. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, and he gets knocked down real quick. And you're like, oh man, this is, here we go. This, this sucks. And then uh, we just had a classic. It's, I, that is really like a, a, a fight, you know, one of those fights that, elevated my appreciation and love for the sport to whatever whatever level I was at it made me even harder core Ooh. maybe harder Ooh, wow. and uh wow you know it, it, I just it, I love it so much that I didn't allow myself to put it on this one because I I, I feel like I I bring it up all the time um it's a great one man thank you thank you at least I got the score right on that what do you got for me number 2 all right man so, uh, he's a favorite of ours and it's a fight that I, maybe before he really broke out on the U S radar because it's right before he goes into the super six. It's when he wins a vacant version of the super middleweight title, December 6th, 2008 from Nottingham arena. Yes. In the United Kingdom, Carl Frotch with the 12-round decision over Jean Pascal. Great pick. I almost put that in mind. Yes. No oh one ever God. talks about that fight. It was one of those British specials where both were like on the verge of busting out and becoming something, so they put them in against each other. It's like Dubois against Joe Joyce. Well, I, there's a there's a real title on the line here, and, and of course, Jean Pascal is not a British uh, fighter, but... 
I hear what you're saying. You don't. We don't necessarily get fights of this quality with uh, two guys 23 and 0 and 21 and 0 in the states here, or at least at the time we didn't. Now, who the hell knows? You got Uzbek guys fighting for titles when they're like <laughs> got half a win on their record and 18 gold medals. Um, but anyway, this fight is awesome, man. I mean, it was it, the the amount of energy that these guys put out in this fight that yes. they are swinging so hard and it's it gets a little sloppy i mean because both of them when they really brawl they get their punches get wide and they're just go but th- those are awesome moments i mean they're almost like provodnikov bradley moments of like blind swinging wide punches balls out craziness a few other things that are fun to note about this fight and and pascal is lighting up frotch early which i mean when when Frotch fought some of the more you know some quicker guys or some of the sharper counterpunchers, that that was not unusual, right? We could see Frotch get lit up uh, early in fights, but that's he's such a chin, so strong, and just kept coming. And in the you know over the late rounds in this fight, he just even even and even rounds where Pascal seems like he's winning most of it. Frotch has that way of pulling something out of his ass late in the round that hurts a guy and then it swings the whole thing and and he does it again and again and again and uh, some some fun trivia on this one Brian cuz I actually rewatched it recently. Nice. One, the ring corners or not all of them but I think two of them are sponsored by Hooters of Nottingham, a great place <laughs> to watch a Carl Frotch fight. Very true, very great true. Great place to catch a cobra fight. And and this on this card was the debut of one Tyson Fury. Are you serious? Huh? Professional debut of Tyson Fury fighting Bella Giongiosi. But what's what's great during the Frotch Pascal fight? You're I, and I realized this the other day watching. You're watching at all like ringside. It's like the entire Fury family. All I, I first I saw Big John. I was like, is that Big John? Is that is that is that X-rated Big John right there? And then <laughs> I'm looking down, you know, like a few a few a few seats to the right of him, next to Mick Hennessy, the the former uh, promoter of Tyson Fury. Oh yeah, there's there's Young Fury with the hair and with like the little the little he's got that little Elvis when he still let that little Elvis curl yes. hang down in front, and he's got his son sitting on it. Paris is behind him, Prime Paris, Young Paris, uh, and there's a, I think I think it is the brother. Who passed away? Hugh, the the that that trained Tyson earlier in his career. Huey is sitting next to Big John. You see them all there. I know where they just, all came from. He's come out of my nutsack, so he's gonna be good, isn't he? I love all the gypsies just posting up in the front row there. That's great. Yeah, I mean, so and you get to see them throughout the fight. It's it's, it's almost distracting now because you keep going, oh, what's Tyson doing here? Um, great fight. I love the action. I love that we're. Bringing it back oh, to the forefront because if we don't talk about these fights anymore, Rafe, it's like they didn't happen. This is what's wrong with the day. The young ladies today—they're not learning from mom. How to cook? We're losing recipes. <laughs> we can't lose the recipes, Brian. I wanted to add just as a, and there. If you want another little bit of cobra porn for the frotch heads, the 80k crew out there, it's a fight that gets lost because it wasn't on. It was on Epics. We didn't get it on HBO, and it was it was sort of sandwiched between the two phases of Frotch's career, coming out of the Super Six and and losing to Andre Ward in the final there, and then going on to 
ADK and Wembley and all that other stuff. It's Sam, but it's it's it made one of his greatest wins. Butte. And it's such an awesome five round fight. Yes. Butte in the crowd. Send that man to hell. So there's who's that soccer analyst at ESPN? Um, the white guy. Um, from from uh from Britain. Um, Caucasian guy. Some Cauca- he lives in my town, and we used to go to the same barber. So I talked to him. He was at that fight in like the fifth row, and he basically was like, "That's the greatest sporting event." I've ever been at for like electricity and craziness. He's, I forgot the dude's name. He used to play on the Scottish soccer national team. Whatever. Nice guy. Anyway, top bloke lives Jim in my Watt? Town. I don't know. Some, some wet guy. Uh, yeah. And don't, I thought you, by the way, I thought you were totally bringing up the Yusuf Mack win. Cause that was right in that transition. <laughs> would be phase. Cobra porn, wouldn't that, it? That would change a man. And it is, yeah, it is in line with that. It's on brand. All right. Uh, gotta roll on here and close it out with my number one, October 4th. 2003 in full disclosure here Ray. Oh. okay i was a massive boxing fan late 80s all through the 90s more of a heavyweight fan than you know i wasn't following roy jones fight by fight for example but when nas blew up late 90s i was like appointment viewing i think the uh around 2001 i started to pull out so to speak rafe i would only be go- like we watched tyson lewis we had a big party in 02 i remember having a party for Lewis Klitschko, randomly enough, and the fight was obviously absolutely amazing. But from, like, 01 to 0, late 04, I really wasn't Jacker. watching. I jacked, okay? I remember, like, I didn't watch Gotti Ward live one or two or three, but, I, you know, I called them all after the fact. I was, I was, I mean, Brian, you, know, God, you do not have to apologize to me. Uh, I was a complete casual during that, during those years. So complete. there was one fight specifically that I caught on Showtime, because and you know what actually fueled that gap? I lived with my parents until 2000. We got an illegal black box in like 94. So from 94 to 2000, I watched all UFC boxing and WWE pay-per-views. Then I moved out. And then my parents moved to Florida in 2003 and gave me the black got box. got the box. So I got the box back. So I had great cable, all that. This was the fight that I randomly turned to at the right time and it started. The first of a trilogy turned on off Showtime. the Spice Channel and turned on Showtime. <laughs> Mandalay Bay Resort in Las Vegas. Joel Casamayor, one of my campions. Remember, I went up to him in the crowd at that yes. Golovkin fight. And he's always dressed really sharp oh, at fights. Man. Like he's got nice suits, not afraid to wear, put a little color in, like some some very bright red. I and he's just smooth. He's the smooth fighter. Dirty fighter, but a smooth, aggressive smooth character, Cuban, man. I like that has guy. Has the Cuban slickness, but can get dirty. For the vacant WBO junior lightweight title, TKO6 over Diego Corrales. I'm not sure if you remember mm. the specifics. The first of their trilogy where Corrales came in in the camo shorts. It was boxer against puncher. And, of course, Joel can bang. And they were brawling. And then Corrales got that vicious cut in which below his bottom lip, you could basically see through and see his soul through it. And they gave him like another round or two to keep fighting. And Joe Goosen's in it and he's trying to, you know, keep him in it. And finally, ref had had enough and Corrales gets so pissed off. I remember watching that fight going. I mean, I had I had a uh, I had a moment here. Like, I mean, it it wasn't quite. Oh, my God. But it was definitely right hook upstairs. Edward shakes his head. So I encourage you to dig it again and watch this fight because Corella shows so much damn balls to want to fight through with his face falling apart. And of course, Rafe, this is about three fights before the first Castillo fight. 
the greatest fight of all time, more or less. So this was my introduction. I knew the name because I remember the pay-per-view build for Floyd, but didn't have the black box, didn't watch it. Rafe, this was like, oh, crap, I should probably start watch, watching box again. Do you remember this fight? Do you have any memories of their trilogy? They had an immediate rematch in which Corrales won a split decision in 04, and then in 06 they did the third fight in which Casamayor won a split decision. Your thoughts on this great rivalry? I, I just told you, Brian. I, I am, I am, I'm coming clean right here. I was casual. I'm a little younger than you, so no, I didn't even watch this fight. I've never seen this fight. I've read about it. I've heard people talk about it because of the injury and because I, you know, it, was a, it was clearly a fight people remember. But I haven't watched it myself, so I will go back and 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 do some of the knowledge and and educate myself a little bit here. Uh, you know, I, I was actually, you know, it's funny when, when we started doing this, I went looking for fights that I hadn't seen that were, were great. And, and I could throw in here and watch like Junior Jones, Orlando Canizales. And I, and it, I was like, Oh, this fight's awesome, but it's just not the same. It's like, you want to, you want to, the emotion, the, you want to be able to, to explain what it meant to you in the moment where you were when you watched it. They're still great fights and they're still, you should, we should all still watch them. But for this, I, so, you know, it's like, this is about finding our comfort food and, 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 uh, and learning some new dishes that we could add to our comfort food recipe book. I love that. And here's a postscript on that. End of 2003, I remember watching the Showtime end of the year, like wrap up show they did with Al Bernstein. And they replayed part of that fight. And I was like, I love that fight. And it was only like a month or two later, a buddy of mine was like, hey, I'm training boxing all the time. I got this enclosed porch at my parents' house that they let me turn into a boxing sort of like ring gym setup. Started going over there three nights a week. We'd spar. We had a full workout plan. Then we'd spar with the headgear. And Rafe, I remember going home and never watching boxing like I watched it before. Like it birthed such a deep hardcore respect for the actual science of it and the checkers in the chess game of it. Sorry, not checkers um, that I hadn't ever you know, thought about before. I was hearing Jimmy because then I'd be going a couple nights a week, getting my brain bashed in and trying to go to the grocery store afterwards and dropping stuff all over. Um, how was that for a little, little punch drunk, little punch drunk love right there. And uh, from that on out, I've never stopped those next few years. In my prime single years, I was every Saturday night watching that black box. So when I say I've never purchased a boxing pay-per-view, I actually mean it. But that's just the way it is, Rafe, okay? Uh, you know, that's it, you You realized it was your destiny to work in this field because you knew that you never could bring yourself to pay for a boxing pay-per-view. And there was only one way to do it then, which is to go get a job that would allow you to watch it uh, for free while working. And, and And by the way, all those years later... Look at me now, Rafe. But look at him now. Look at him now. That's all I breathe is him. one right here. Look at us now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay? You got to look at the whole man. You got to look at the whole body. Magia is naked. Yes, he is. Uh, Rafe, that's our show for the week. Special thanks to Bob Aram. Uh, you and I, let's put our head together. We'll get in the think tank. Maybe come up with another fun bonus episode for the people out there. Uh, maybe a little deep dive action on another all I'm pro boner. Rewind. Yes, you are. Indeed. Follow you at Rafe Bugs. I'm sure you'll be writing some time. Like, this is your time to write buffoonery, right? Buffoonery, you can expect it. You can count on me. I'm bringing the buffoonery. Okay, okay, okay. Hey, man, don't be a blank. You know, hey, you're really gonna act this way. Yep, yep. You're really gonna 
be buffoonish. Indeed, at the athletic. That right. At the athletic.com. Uh, do you have any message for the people? Anything? Um, everyone, be safe. Um, uh, you know, be careful. Take care of your people. I do care about you and your people. I want the best for all of us. Uh, watch your backs, and um, that's it for me, man. All right, all right. Um, thank you, thank you. A uh, little message for you from John Fury. You're a Yankee rooster, my friend. You're a hatchcock. <laughs> yeah, you got a hell of a hatchcock. Uh, that's it. Uh, special thanks to Alex Godinez for always having our back. Dylan Hager, one of our favorite listeners. Uh, I'm sure Ulrich Anderson is loving us across. Uh, hopefully the, the virus hasn't hit Denmark. I don't know. Something something is rotten. Yeah, something something indeed. Uh, not Kessler's sister. Look into that one. All right, that's it. I got two words for you. Ray, we out.